Hey, welcome. I'm Pastor Chris. I welcome you to Woodville Baptist Online Service. So good you're joining us uh, again. Today I'm going to be talking about a dodgy manager, looking at Luke 16. I'll see you the other side of our, uh, our welcome video. But before that, you know, I always like to say salam alaikum and welcome to our service. See you later. Welcome back. Okay, Luke 16, that's where we're, we're at at the moment. A few weeks ago, when we we're doing Luke 12, I spoke on the subject, is your wallet saved? And today, again, uh, we're looking at the subject of money. Um, it was actually the fourth most mentioned subject that Jesus spoke on. So it was number four in his list of, say, the 50 things he spoke on. So he talked about it quite a bit. And we're going to be looking at something called the unjust steward. I've called it the dodgy manager, but the unjust steward is the normal title for it. So um, I'm going to do the reading in two parts. I'm going to look at Luke 16, 1 to 8, which is actually the parable um, of the steward. And then I'll open that up a bit and then look at some of the things Jesus said about it. Okay, so here we go. Luke 16, verses 1 to 8. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 3,000 liters of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? 30 tons of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 24. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. There's, there's the reading. I should just point out if you can hear that uh, we're in Wales. We get a lot of rain here and there's a lot of rain going on at the moment. It might get louder. I'm just going to try and press on, okay? Because we're in Wales. Hallelujah. Right. This passage is Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is stuff for his disciples to learn. It is challenging and it's difficult. In fact, it's often ignored in Bible studies and commentaries and stuff because it is quite tricky. Um, I've looked at five commentaries and gone online on this, and I've found at least three different explanations. So it, it is a tricky one, but we have to grapple with these tricky sections of Scripture. If Jesus said it, if it's in there, there's a reason for it. So we need to grapple with it. Part of that grappling is not just about studying. That's very important, trying to understand the context, the word, etc., and, and wrestling with it, if you like, intellectually. It's also about asking the author 
of the word, the Holy Spirit, to give us understanding. Those two have to go together. Anyway, um, there's a number of ways of looking at this steward, okay? So I've got uh, five here, which I'll just run through, just so you start to see the whole picture. So the first one is, he was useless. It says he was wasting the resources. He was squandering the assets. The, the wasting, the word there is the same as the prodigal son squandered his father's inheritance. So he was sacked for being rubbish. And then he had to have a plan to survive. So in other words, the reality is about to hit him. I'm going to lose my job. I got a plan. I, he acts decisively. And that acting decisively, although dishonestly, that is commended. Second one is the manager is dishonest. He's been cheating the master. So the master says, you're sacked, sort the accounts. And then he actually continues in his dishonesty. I find this unlikely because if he was dishonest, he'd probably just be shown the door. But anyway, and then the master will not commend in his actions, recognizes that he's been very shrewd and he's looking after himself. The third one, you still with me? This is a bit tricky. The master might have been charging interest. Now, this was not legal. You're not supposed to charge interest or uh, uh, usury on money. Maybe he converted the money amounts into commodities, and this was all a way of disguising it. Um, and what the steward did was actually remove the interest. And the manager couldn't challenge that because he was that would show that he was doing something illegal. So the steward was actually uh, returning the amounts to what they should have been. Um, the tricky one with that is it's quite a complicated parable in that case. It's got, you know, it's got financial stuff and legal stuff in it. And, you know, anyway, um, that's another one. Uh, the fourth one is that the amounts he took off were actually his commission. So although he'd messed up and everything, he took his commission off, which would get him into a good place, you know, with the other people. My preference is from this guy, David Garland, who's done a commentary, a brilliant one on Luke, which is that the master in verse nine is actually the Lord Jesus. The word there is Lord. And a lot of people presume it's the master in the story. Um, but if you go with this one, it makes the verse, the verses just make much more sense. And it lead to the, when he says, I tell you, uh, it, it's much more seamless. So, what seems to be happening, Jesus is, Jesus is commending the unjust steward or the dodgy manager for taking action in a crisis. He's about to lose his job. He makes arrangements in a totally worldly way. In other words, I'm going to do you favors, pay me back favors. We talked about that a few weeks ago, the whole culture of favors and honor. And uh, he, was, he was providing for his future in a very shrewd and clever way. So Jesus is saying, you know, he's active decisively. Things are changing. He made a decision. He's looked after himself. Now I'm going to read part two of the scriptures, okay, having done that explanation there. So we're going to go from, we're in 16, we're going from 9 to 13, okay? This is Jesus bringing out the meaning of the parable. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? It's an amazing statement, that, isn't it? 
And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? But testing. Finally, no one can serve two masters. No one can be the slave of two masters. No one can be devoted to two masters. Either you will hate the one, love the other, or devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word for money they've put in there is actually mammon, which we'll come to later. So this is very challenging. One commentator has said the hard bit about this actually is not working out all the intricacies of what's going on. It's actually living it. I've given us three handles, really, three hooks to have a think about what's coming out of this parable and this these statements by Christ. So I'll try to do three W's. Worldview, warning, and the way out. Okay, so worldview. One of the reasons it's very important to read and study the Bible is because there's so much to life, so much more to life than what you can see and touch. You need to have a biblical worldview. You get that from the Bible. Jesus clearly taught that this is not it. What we see and feel and touch here, this is not it. This is not ultimate reality. It's this time that we're in now. There's so much more to life. There's a world beyond what we can see now. Yeah? There was a beginning to this world. There will be an end. And there is a judgment to come by a holy God. And we will all give an account to God. Jesus reminds us that there'll be a time when all the money is gone. Either individually when we die or when all of this is gone. There will come a time when the money is gone. But what we do in this life directly impacts on the life to come. Not just in terms of accepting Christ. This is the opportunity you have to choose Christ or no, I'm fine without you. But not, ju not just that, but in the way that we live in the way that we live for God, how we use what God has given to us, what he has entrusted us with. This is the stewardship aspect. He's entrusted us. All we have is from God. Jesus clearly teaches in Luke 12, there are treasures that can be built up in heaven by decisions we make and things we do on earth in the here and now. And worldly wealth this is an amazing thought, isn't it? Worldly wealth is not true riches. That's what he says in those verses. It is not what we see around us. It's what's going on in heaven. So here's the warning. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. Mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon is an Aramaic word, and the, the origins are obscure. But it's a sort of, it's a word that covers possessions and money. And it's a word that's almost saying they have a power. In fact, John Milton, when he wrote the, the poem Paradise Lost, he called mammon an actual spirit. And it's this idea, if you think about money, you think, well, it's just neutral. It's, it's your heart, you know, whether you use it for good or bad. But actually, the thought that money itself has a corrupting influence. It can have a corrupting effect on the best intentions. I'm going to give this to them. Oh, wait a minute. What can I do with that tenor? There's something about money that, 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 can be, that can get into your heart very easily, very powerfully. Okay? 
Possession brings responsibility. And if you have a lot, that's a lot of responsibility. And there's a question we need to ask about how attached are we to our money and possessions? In other words, who owns who? Who owns what? What owns who? In other words, do we own them or do they own us? How much of our thoughts and everything are taken up with the things that we have or the money? Which way around is it? There's an amazing, amazing book, one of my favorite books ever, Lord of the Rings. Most of you have read this. If not, please do read it. Take some time. It's worth it. It's also an amazing uh, trilogy of films by Peter Jackson. Anyway, in Lord of the Rings, there's, there's a character called Gollum, Smeagol, as he was originally. And he finds a gold ring. And he takes the gold ring and he thinks he's got this most beautiful thing. So it's his possession. But what we find out over time is that ring has actually got the spirit of an evil an evil being that created it in it, and it actually really is influencing and really owns Gollum. And it means that it, it gives him longer life, he lives for a long time, but he becomes, becomes totally corrupted by this ring to the point where he's, he's unaware of his, own, of his own impending doom because he's so pleased to get it back. It's a powerful picture of thinking you own an item when actually the item is owning you. Jesus gave us an example of this, in a sense, about the heart. In Matthew 19, with the rich young ruler, he said, this, this, this guy goes to him, he said, what must I do to be saved? He said, well, it's the commandments. He goes through, Jesus gives him a few. He said, yeah, I've done all those. What else to eternal life? What else? He said, well, and this is where Jesus does a bit of perception, I think. He looks into his heart. He says, well, if you want to be perfect, sell all you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. The young man becomes sad. He turns away. Jesus said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom? If you've got a lot more responsibility, more potential for it to take your heart. That guy's heart was corrupted by his love for money. And what he had could not enable him to do what he wanted to do, which was follow Jesus. He started off by saying, how much shall I be saved? What's the way out? What's the way out of this if we feel trapped or, more importantly, to keep from being trapped? Is it more prayer or ministry or action? Clue is in, I said action last, so it's probably an action. The parable and its interpretation imply that sharing our wealth is not just something good that should be done for the poor, but is a means of saving one's own soul from danger. Giving to others as a spiritual discipline, which is what it should be, loosens the grip of mammon on one's heart. And it explains why Jesus commands his disciples, give to those who ask of you. Luke 6.30, give to everyone who asks you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Really? In this consumer system, this is radical. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Here's a good quote. When you give to a beggar, you are both blessed. He helps you reduce the holds of money on your life. 
and you bless him with a gift. That's a bit of upside down kingdom, isn't it? I love that. I love that. You are both blessed. He is helping you as you are helping him. Just to continue that, it's not simply because that person is in such great need, but because we are. The people who have the money are in a great need of being set free from any hold it might have on us. And in doing something for others, we are doing something for ourselves. Not selfishly, but in, in, a, in a way of almost like soul care. You don't hear that often in terms of soul care, well-being, giving stuff away. Most of that section there came from Dave Garland, that commentary. So I pay homage to him on that. This week I heard a great story. I met a woman this week who said she was serving in India on a mission trip, just a short mission trip. And she was at a village that was incredibly poor. And it was so poor, they could hardly afford milk. So they would have some milk given to them. They'd try and pass it around. It was so watered down by the time they got to the children. So virtually no use. This woman's husband had died a few years before. When they were together, he bought her a watch, a very, very expensive watch, which she wore all the time. And she was in this situation where her heart was broken for these people. And she's looking at the watch. She sold the watch for a lot less than it was worth. And she bought a bullock for the village. And then they could have fresh milk whenever. I find that story absolutely beautiful. There is a heart that's set free, that's able to bless. There's treasures. And it's all in that story, in fact. <laughs> I could have saved us all a lot of time, just told us the story, but that is so beautiful. Ultimately, how we treat others, especially those worse off than ourselves who can't pay us back, is what God is looking for. Do we share what we have? Do we partner with the Holy Spirit in our financial planning and in our decisions about what to do with our money? Do we trust him to supply our needs? As Christians, we need to realize that we must use what we have to bless others. This will provide treasure in heaven for us and it will welcome us into the presence of God because he loves a generous heart. Just a teaching note, this is not about salvation. That's a gift of God, hallelujah. Hallelujah, that's a free gift of God that we just accept through what Jesus has done. This is about working out what God has given. Imagine the transforming power of the assets that are owned by all the people of God. I'm responsible for what God has given me. You're responsible for what God has given you. That's where we have to start. Okay, I hope that uh, will give you something to think about. And uh, just go back and look at the scriptures, see what God says to you. God bless. Okay, um, I'm just going to do uh, the, the usual notices. Well, I'll do an unusual notice first of all, just to remind anyone watching from Woody, if you're watching this in the morning, this afternoon we got Woody in the park, so there'll be details will have gone out, but it'd be really great to see as many of you possible there in person. Fantastic. Okay. To everyone else listening or watching, um, it'd be lovely to dialogue with you. There's all the details about the different platforms and contact details at the uh, at the end. Uh, so it's just left for me now to, to pray.
Um, Father, we, we just thank you for your goodness. You give so much, Lord. You give so much into our lives, but incredibly, you gave the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, you gave your life, the greatest gift. Everything we have is just pales into insignificance before the gift that you have already given. Thank you, Jesus. Father, keep our, our hearts soft so that we appreciate what you've done for us and that you even go on giving. Help us to be free to give it to others, to just, to just be channels of your blessing that can pass it on. We ask this in Jesus' name, and I ask your blessing on everyone watching and listening, that you would bless them and draw close to them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Be blessed and hope to be able to communicate something again soon. Cheers.